Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. But I want to preach to you on this subject. You may be seated. Some of you are confused. What does that mean? You may be seated. The most coveted words in a Pentecostal church. You may be seated. Because typically in a normal setting, in a social setting, sitting is a relational posture. We want someone to relax if we want somebody to take it easy. We say, you don't have to stand, but please be seated. So I want to try to quickly preach a message this morning entitled, You May Be Seated. We've been talking a lot about the tabernacle in the wilderness the last month, and it is a subject when you talk about the tabernacle, has anybody heard of the tabernacle? If you've ever heard of the tabernacle in the wilderness, raise your hand. All right. So some of you may be not as familiar with the subject. We're not going to do a deep dive into it. But it's a subject, the tabernacle is a subject that is layered in symbolism and meaning. It's also a subject that can cause people to tune out of a message. Hopefully you won't tune out. But if you want to understand the Bible in its fullness and its richness, you really need to understand the tabernacle. And if you want to know who God is and how God works, the tabernacle is a great picture of who God is and how he works. It was God's plan for people to show them his desire to dwell with him. So God created a plan for people to know him. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, it says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Everyone say dwell. Dwell. He said, Make it according to what I show. It was through this picture of a tabernacle that we get a glimpse into the things that are in the heavens. It's like the picture you might see on the box of a puzzle. You have to put the puzzle together, but you get a glimpse of what that picture is supposed to look like. The tabernacle is a a glimpse of heavenly things. It points us to the incredible idea that God wants to have a relationship with us. God wants a relationship with you today. That's what he hopes at the end of the day you coming to a service means, that you draw closer to him. The tabernacle, as many of you know, it's divided into three sections. 
There was the outer court or the, the area that was surrounded by a big tent or a big uh, fence, a white fence. It's called the outer court. And then the tent itself was made and put inside of this fenced area. And it had two sections inside of the tent. There was the holy place and then the most holy place. It was a progression towards God that you started outside of the fenced area and you walked in to the outer court and you moved into the holy place and then into the most holy place, progressing to get closer to ultimately the presence of God. And each section of the way, the outer court, the holy place, the most holy place, had furniture in it. These pieces of furniture were pictures of God's attributes and how God interacted with his people. We just concluded a series on Wednesday night in Growth University on the tabernacle. If you want to hear that or listen to that or watch that, I encourage you to do so. We went through every piece of the tabernacle. But what we realize is that this furniture represented certain attributes of God and how he interacted with his people. And so it is then I want to focus my attention today on the most holy place that we find the crowning pieces of furniture. Outside in the outer court, there was the bronze altar and the bronze laver and you walked in through the veil to the holy place and there was the table of showbread and the candlesticks and the altar of incense. But then you get into the most holy place and in it was the most sacred piece and pieces of furniture. And God would create this first piece of furniture and he would tell us about it in Exodus chapter 25. Everybody still with me? Tabernacle, you can zone out in the tabernacle. Exodus 25. <clears throat> they shall make an ark of acacia wood and they made it a certain, uh, a certain length and a certain width and a certain height. It wasn't super, super big, maybe a little bit bigger than the, the size of this uh, pulpit as far as the, the width of it and the, the length of it. And they would overlay it with gold, he said. I want you to overlay it with gold, and I want you to put rings into it so you can carry it. Verse 13, you'll put the poles into it and overlay them with gold. Verse 14, and, and, and you'll put the rings in the side of the ark that it may be carried. Verse 15, the poles shall be in the rings of the ark that they shall not be taken from it. So in other words, the poles should remain at all times. And you shall put into the ark, the testimony which I will give you. He says, I'm going to have you create something that is going to possess or carry the testimony. And throughout the Bible, you see this container. It's literally like a, a tub that you might carry. This container would house some testimony. 
And they would call it the Ark of the Testimony. And you can read in other accounts in Numbers and, and uh, in the New Testament or the Old Testament, it would be called the Ark of the Covenant. If you read Ark of the Testimony and you read Ark of the Covenant, it's talking about the same thing. When God would refer to it as the Ark of the Covenant, it was referred that way because God was literally making a covenant with his people. That as they progress from the outer court into the holy place, into that most holy place, he's saying, I'm inviting you into covenant with me. I'm inviting you into relationship with me. It's an agreement between you and God. The agreement said that if we can come to an agreement that I will dwell here. And so it was called the Ark of the Covenant. But we also read that it's called the Ark of the Testimony because it contained testimony or witness of God and his working with people. It was a witness of God's ability to overcome. And so in that Ark of the Covenant, in that Ark of the Testimony, you can read in Leviticus where they put in there the law, the Ten Commandments, the stone Ten Commandments that Moses got from the mountain. It was God's law. It was God's way. His uh, uh Word and his way. And they were to put in it the manna that God supplied in the wilderness. When the children of Israel were walking through the wilderness, God provided manna or bread from heaven. And so God said, put in there a testimony of my provision. And finally, the last thing that would be in that ark of the testimony was the rod of Aaron that budded. And this had to do with the fact there came a time when God was going to declare to them who the leader was, who was the one who was supposed to be the high priest, who was the one that would have authority. And so the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel all grabbed the staff and they, they put it down. And the next day they came out and only one of those staves butted and it was Aaron's and it declared who had authority and it was God's authority and so he said put that in the ark put that rod of Aaron that butted but what I want you to understand about each of these stories is that they are not just stories of God's ability they are stories of God's ability, God's law, God's provision, and God's authority. But when you read about the law, the law was necessary to show the sin of humanity. It was intended to show the distance between God and man. And not only that, the Ten Commandments that would be put into that, that ark was not the original copy of the Ten Commandments. 
It was the second copy of the Ten Commandments. The first copy was thrown down and destroyed by an angry Moses when he came down and he saw the people worshiping a pagan God that they had created. So when God said, put the testimony or put the law into the ark of the testimony he was not just putting in his word and his law he was putting in the sins of humanity into that ark and when he said put the manna in Put the provision of bread into the ark of the testimony. He was not just saying, look at my provision, look what I can do. But when you understand the story of that provision and you understand why God gave them bread, you realize it wasn't just purely the generosity of God, but it was the fact that these people began to complain and they began to grumble and they said oh that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger then the Lord said to Moses behold I will rain bread from heaven and so this bread was not just a story of God's provision but it showed weakness it showed humanity in in its most vulnerable state they began to complain and they began to grumble against God but God said put that manna in the ark of the testimony and then there was the rod of Aaron that budded those 12 tribes those leaders put out the, their staff and the one budded but what was it it had to do with the fact that the people began to rebel against God and they began to complain and they began to think that they were the leaders they themselves were in charge and so God said I want to make it clear that I'm in charge I want to make it clear who is in authority in this place and so that's why they put the 12 rods down or the staffs down and that's why Aaron's rod butted because of the humanity and the sin of the people and so the ark of the testimony was not just a story about the word of God and the provision of God and the authority of God but it was a story that was marked by the failure of humanity. And here is what we find that God does. He says, give me those stories. Give me those stories. Give me that pagan worship. Give me that complaining. Give me that doubt and that fear. And I'm going to put it into a container. Literally, the word ark is the same word that means coffin. He said, put it in this container. But I want you to understand something. It's not just going to be an empty container. It's not just going to be an open container. But he said, I've got one more piece of furniture that I'm going to add to this ark of the testimony. And it's going to literally cover those moments. It's going to take what was once discouragement, despair, and just failure on every side. And he said, I'm going to put something over it so that it is buried and it will 
then become an ark of a testimony. And so he said, don't just make the ark, but I want you to make a mercy seat. I want you to put something on top of that ark of the covenant that will say for generations to come, I've seen your complaining. I've seen your failure. I've seen your pagan worship, but it's covered. It's covered. It's covered. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. He said you can put the mercy seat in Exodus 25 verse 21. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And what happens when the mercy seat lands on the ark? He says and there I will meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubims which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. Oh, hallelujah. When the ark was covered by the mercy seat, God said, I'll meet you there. The ark was covered by this separate and final piece of furniture was the seventh piece of furniture that you would encounter. That testimony was covered by mercy. It was called, though, the mercy seat. When they would walk into the tabernacle, There was no place for them to sit down. You look at all the pieces of furniture. None of the furniture allowed for them to sit in the tabernacle. There was not a stool. There was not a place for them to sit, even at the brazen altar. They were to walk in and stand. But when they got into the holiest of holies... There was a seat, but it wasn't their seat. It was God's seat. It was the mercy seat. And in other words, he said, I want to meet with you. I want to walk with you. But I need mercy in order to sit with you. Your sin has separated me from you. And I can't sit and talk with you. I can't sit and commune with you. But the only way that I'm going to be able to have a seat with you is if it's covered in mercy. And so there we see God's intention to have a seat with us. And my message today is pretty simple. We need God to have a seat in our life. I wish somebody today would leave this place and tell God, you may be seated. You may be seated in my life. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. But I need God to have a seat in my life. Too often, we are the ones who are sitting on our lives. We're sitting on our story. 
worries. We're sitting on our manna. We're sitting on the law. We're sitting on the rod that buds. But we need to make a room, make room for God to have a seat over every story in our life. Oh, hallelujah. I want to preach to you today. I don't care what your story is. And we say it a lot, but I'll say it again if this is the first time you've heard it. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what's happened to you in your life from a child until now. If you'll take your story, however broken it is, and you'll allow the mercy of God to cover your life, I'm telling you, God will show up in your life in a way that you've never seen before. I wish somebody would tell God, you may be seated. You may be seated. Because we... We want to have control of our story. We want to have control of our life. God is saying, I can do more. With a story covered in mercy. Than you can do. Living your whole life trying to craft your own story. And once a year. Once a year. Was the day of days. It was the Super Bowl, Game 7 of the World Series, World Cup, NBA Finals, all in one. It was the holiday of holidays for the high priest. And they would walk in, and I want to read it to you. Leviticus chapter 16. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of of the fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine and bring it inside the veil. So there he stood at the altar of incense and he grabbed coals of the fire and he walked in. He shall put the incense of the fire before the Lord. Then the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering which is for the people bring its blood inside the veil do that with blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat so he shall make a atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel because of their transgressions for all their sins and so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness once a year one man could enter the high priest and he could experience the beauty of the ark He could see the splendor of the golden cherubims on the mercy seat. And he felt the weight of the glory in the presence of God. One man, once a year. That was until Jesus came. Hebrews tells us, but this man, this Jesus, 
after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time awaiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days says the Lord I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them I will put the law I will put the covenant I will put it in the container of our lives through the power of the Holy Ghost and he adds their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more I will cover it with mercy I will put the mercy seat on them And so, we read in Revelation chapter 12, how do we overcome in this world? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They overcame him by the blood, the mercy seat, and the testimony that was in their heart covered by mercy. Oh, hallelujah. There is no place to sit in the tabernacle in the wilderness except for the mercy seat. And I want to tell you today, that seat belongs to God. Mercy has become the throne of God. That's where God dwells. That's when God dwells. When mercy reigns in your life. When the blood of Jesus reigns in your life. When you say, I'm going to put faith in what you did on the cross. That's when God begins to dwell in our lives in amazing ways. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without Sin. Watch what he says now. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When Jesus died on the cross, we know that veil that hid the ark that hid the most holy place, was ripped in two. What was that for? For those who were standing on the outside, they could catch a glimpse. They could see a God who was beckoning them to come. A God who invited them to relationship. 
a God who invited them to be partakers of his holiness, to be partakers of his mercy. He rent the veil in two so that they could walk towards God. And what that was, was not just a container of death. It wasn't just a coffin. But it was a seat. It was a throne. Death had become the throne of God. Mercy was what he sat on. And he beckons. Come to me. My mercy is available for you. My grace is available for you. So the writer of Hebrews says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So who sits on your throne today? Who sits on that seat today? I pray that you would let Jesus Christ and his mercy have that seat today. Would you stand with me? Mercy seat was a seat for God. It represented something only he could do. Only he could provide mercy for the entire human race. So 1 John 2 verse 2 says he himself is the propitiation, the redeemer for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the whole world. I want to tell somebody today that God delights in mercy. His whole plan centered around his mercy. His whole plan centered around the idea that you would be able to be reconciled to God. And the only way you and I are reconciled to God is through his mercy, through his love for you. And God loves you today. God cares about every aspect of your life. And today, you can bring whatever disappointment, if it looks like pagan worship, if it looks like complaining, if it looks like rebellion, you can bring that to the Lord today. You can bring that to this altar today. And guess what's here? Mercy. A seat that God dwells in. And he wants to cover those bad decisions with his mercy. He wants to cover those heartaches with his mercy. He wants to cover that shame with his mercy. I love the idea the Ark of the Covenant was the burial place. It was a place that would be covered, buried in God's blood. His sacrifice buries every sin, covers every sin. 
Before I invite you to come to this altar today, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you would have the courage to allow God to have your story and that you would invite the mercy seat to be laid on your life. His spirit today wants to live inside of you and dwell with you and walk with you. His blood was shed on the cross so you could find redemption. And I want to pray that you are willing to embrace all that God has for you today. Lord, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. I thank you for the care that you took every detail to demonstrate to us that your mercy endures forever. The completion of your work in the tabernacle was your mercy. The completion of your work in heaven is your mercy. God, and I pray today someone would bring their story. Someone would bring their failures to the cross today. And they would say, God, make this into a testimony. Bring glory out of my life today. There's great forgiveness in this room today. There's great mercy in this room today. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.